Welcome to an all-new off-season edition of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I'm Tyler, joined by my co-host Matt, and we've been out for about a month here. Took a few weeks off from the show. We're gonna have some great guests coming for you in July. We will be back full force as TBT is just on the horizon. But today, just the two of us, we're gonna give you a little something to listen to on this nice long holiday weekend. We want to kick things off with a a little All-American segment here. Our red, white, and blue chip teams. So to explain the concept here, blue chips, obviously, your elite prospects and players. Those are guys that we are very confident are going to be stars, first-team all-conference, possible player of the year candidates within the next year or two in this conference. Next category down, your red chips. Guys who are maybe incoming transfers, potential breakout guys, incoming freshmen that we feel very confident will be all conference in some level in this next year or two. And then a new term that I think I might have just made up here today, white ships. Those are wild cards. Those are guys who very well could end up as just mediocre starters or Who knows, maybe even transferring out or being bench warmers, but those are the guys on the outskirts that we want to bet on being future all-conference players. Matt, what'd you think of this exercise before we get things kicked off? Yeah, Tyler, I have no idea because we just came up with this about 20 minutes ago, a little bit of an impromptu segment for tonight, but uh, no, it was... I'm interested to see how similar we are because I feel like a couple positions in the A-10, you could go so many different directions. And I mean, there's a couple spots on the court where I really don't think there, I don't know if there is a blue chip at a couple places. There's just not as many established stars this year, but certainly some guys who can get there. And I think it'll be fun at the end of the year to look back at who we picked as our red chips and white chips and see how they pan out. Yeah, this is a borderline pop the trunk segment. We wanted to get an episode out tonight and kind of like this idea. So I'm sure we're going to, we probably each forgot one guy, but when it comes to those red and white, those red and white chips, man, there's a lot of different options. So chance to have a lot of variety there. And you mentioned the positions, something that made it really tough with the blue chips, five guys coming back from last year that made all conference that, I think all at their best are probably shooting guards. If we really want to get specific about the positions, I moved two of those guys to other slots and two of them got left off. But yeah, just a big glut of players at the kind of scoring guard spot. Yeah, I think you're right. And that that could be a whole nother debate, how you want to assign positions. And that's not even a thing in modern basketball for a lot of coaches, but yeah, we'll see how that goes as well. But what what position do we want to start with tonight? Well, let's just start with, honestly, the three blue chip guys on the perimeter. Because like I mentioned, I think you can kind of just move these guys around to fit kind of however you wanted to line up this five. And I had four players who were really deserving of these three spots. 
Okay, I think I had three, so I'm hoping I didn't forget any anybody too obvious or that we're even thinking about the same, but I, I can just go ahead and name off my, my first three blue chips and we can see if I missed anyone. Really great. So the perimeter guys that came to mind for me, it was James Bishop, Eric Reynolds, and Gibson Jimerson. And I went in that order, point guard, shooting guard, small forward. I mean, three guys who could all lead the conference in scoring next year will have the opportunity to carry their teams. And I mean, when you're just talking about pure talent left in the conference, these guys are about as proven as it gets with just so many unknowns. And I, I think they're three safe picks to at least have productive seasons next year. I took the same three. And honestly, this blue chip segment's probably going to be a little bit redundant and boring here. The other guy that deserves to be talked about in the same vein is Day Day Grant. But mm -hmm. I, I ended up leaving him off. I think he's probably the purest shooting guard of any of these guys. Um, also, the more I thought about it, I realized James Bishop's actually a point guard. Like, Ken Palm had him playing that spot for 98% of the minutes for GW last year. And I'm pretty sure the other 2% were when he was on the bench in garbage time. He was top 100 nationally in assist rate. And I just think of his game as just such the antithesis of, like, a true old-school point guard. But in the modern game, like, I guess he's no different than someone like a Tyrese Maxey kind of essentially the the mid-major version of that but he's well, clearly one of the best guys coming back he's got to be included and it kind of just depends when you caught him during his career because his assists have gone from 5.1 1.9 back up to 5.2 per game last year so that middle year when he was kind of just taking a ton of shots next to Joe Bamisil like that was the year GW didn't have a point guard and they were all just kind of playing one-on-one -on -one basketball on the perimeter. So, yeah, I mean, last year he developed into a much better passer, and that's going to be a key for GW. I, I think they're going to need him both to score a lot of points. Like, he's really one of the only experienced players on the team, and they've got a ton of freshmen and a couple transfers who have played very little at the Division One level. But he's going to need to get those guys involved, too, because we've seen it before. James Bishop, as great as he is, if he's the only guy producing for GW, they're going to be terrible. So, yeah, I, I think for GW to be at their best, he needs to be a good point guard and not as much a shooting guard this year. Yeah, I mean, he was just such a fake point guard year one under Christian. And then having Freeman made him so much better in year two. But last year, I mean, it, they really didn't play positions. Him, Adams, and Edwards just kind of switched around in what they did. So it, it's, it doesn't change my team at all. It's just something that didn't fully go through my mind until I actually worked on this. Um, it's shooting guard Eric Reynolds. This was the second guy that I wrote down on my little whiteboard in this entire activity. Just the best pure score in this entire conference. And that's what boxes out Day Day Grant who is, I personally think, is better than two of the five guys I have on this team. But if we're doing it by position and being rigid about that, Eric Reynolds is just a better bet to be a superstar this year. And then Gibson Jimerson, 
I, who I honestly don't think is as good as Grant, but he's going to put up gaudy numbers on a team that doesn't have many offensive threats this year. He's still probably the best catch and shoot threat in this entire conference. And someone who is kind of bounced up and down throughout the last two years. Is he a star? Is he not a star? I thought he played probably the best basketball he ever has the last month of last season. And he's going to have to because he's going from a situation where I think the last two or three years, St. Louis had a lot of shooters on the court, a lot of options you had to worry about. And now they really don't. He's going to be the focus every game and every everyone's going to have their best defender assigned to guard him. So, yeah, if he's not taking that next step and, and we've seen it, too, like his usage continues to go up every year. But I'm curious to see just how far he can take St. Louis and how much they lean on him because otherwise it's just a matter of how much do you trust guys like Terrence Hargrove to carry a big load on your offense since you're Parker did you yeah he broke out at the end of last year I mean that, that might be what they need who I really like but that's a different conversation for a different podcast um so do we want to go into our other picks around the perimeter or should we get into our final blue chips because i let's, think there's one pretty obvious the blue one, but... chips because it's like i said it's just kind of, we're gonna be in sync on this and just a quick comment sorry sorry daryl banks he made all conference last year he's just not quite on the same level as these other four um front court center spot deron holmes please stop me if you have anything different there no i think that's a a good pick. We're happy to have him back. That's yeah, no, uh, no Ace Baldwin now makes whole, and no Tumani Kamara makes Holmes without a doubt the stud two-way player of this conference. He's going to be the runaway favorite for defensive player of the year with those two gone. I, I mean, he would have to make a significant regression to not be a first, first team All Conference guy this year. The power forward spot, and I talk frequently about how. What makes the A-10 kind of a true mid-major is the lack of real power forwards. And oh my God, is that glaring this year? Because Kamara's gone, Brandon Johns Jr. is gone, and Khalid Moore is gone. And Tyler Burton, if you want to call him a... Yeah, I mean, mean, Tyler Burton was essentially playing the four when Bigelow wasn't on the court. And Matt Grace. Yeah, Matt Grace. There's really only two guys left here that I think are in this conversation, neither of them even made all conference last year. And with apologies to Trey Williams, who like is legitimately in this conversation. Uh, but he's also on a team that has like six power forwards. Um, I'm taking Philip Alston of Loyola who put up all conference level numbers the second half of the year. But given that his team just basically sucked around him for the duration of the season, he didn't get the accolades that he may have individually deserved. He's on a much better roster this season. I think he's their best player. He's going to be a double-double machine this year with some big bodies at the center position, really just clearing out space for him to come in, grab some rebounds. He's going to be one of the few floor spacers that the Ramblers have again this year. Maybe not a first-team all-conference guy since they don't go by position, but I feel incredibly confident saying that Alston will be on an all-conference squad this year. 
Well, that's a relief to hear you say that because Alston was also my pick and I didn't feel good about it. But like you said, I, I just couldn't come up with another power forward. And at first, like when you pitched this idea, I thought of Alston as a perfect like redshift player because he's got so much potential. But he last is. year, he he wasn't consistent enough to make an all-conference team. He wasn't a superstar, just too many mistakes. But he's clearly, I think, the most talented at this position. And it's just a matter of if he can cut down on the turnovers and shoot the ball more reliably. Yeah, Royola is going to, they're going to need help from everyone else too, but he's got to be one of their best players again. And yeah, just based on a pure talent standpoint, it was hard to pick anyone else. Yeah, it's just, it's a thin spot. It's going to be a conversation that we have throughout the year. And something that really kind of dictated my picks for the red and white chips at that spot. But let's go into the red chips here. Um, how about this? Just give me your favorite of this group at any of the positions. And we'll start from there. So before we started, did you say a red chip had to be an underclassman? Because I don't know if any of mine are. No, I didn't. Um, I think okay. I think only one of mine has, actually. All right, well, that makes because me this, feel good. This is a guy that we feel confident is going to be an all-conference guy this year or at worst next year. So there's going to be a lot of older players. Okay, well, if you want me to pick my favorite, then I'll just... But my biases get in the way. I think it's Malachi Smith, my red chip point guard. My favorite's at the same spot, but it's a different guy. Malachi got boxed out. Ooh, interesting. Well, I just think when it comes to Malachi Smith, we saw him play pretty well down the stretch last year. Obviously, injuries got in the way. He missed time before the season. He had surgery immediately after the season, so he was never at 100%. And that's just been a shame throughout the first two years of his college career. We haven't seen him at full strength that often, but I I just think at that position, we've seen it in flashes in conference play. He started scoring a lot more points than we were used to. He's starting to become a better three point shooter. And that connection with him and Daron Holmes, like they're going to need to feed off each other. And with Tumani Kamara's departure, I think it's up to Malachi Smith to step up as Dayton's second best player and to try to get them back into a double buy spot. This was the most stacked position for this argument. And it, it hurt me to leave Malachi off, but I think there was an obvious pick here, and that's Ronald Polite, who, like, I had to go back and check to make sure once again that he wasn't all conference last year because he should have been. He was on my all-conference. Yeah, I I, I, he was my last guy off. I would have had him on if we did that stupid six players a team thing like the real conference does. By the end of the year, he was clearly one of the 18 best. And he's got the keys to the car right now. And I, I've i seen so many people down on George Mason. Like I think, I think somebody on Twitter that we follow, which means their opinions are at least decent, had them 15th a few weeks ago. That team's got a lot of like weird, funky pieces. I think I have them in like the eight, nine range right now. But part of it is that Polite's a star. He's, or at least he's going to be when game one rolls around. He was so impressive down the stretch of the season. 
might be the best combination point assist man in this conference behind Bishop. Really good defender, a guy who rebounds extremely well for his size and is really just a player that does everything well. That's what I want in my point guard. And I think he's going to run away as George Mason's best player on a team that should be at least somewhere around the 500 mark this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a good pick. And I just hope that he can keep it going through the coaching change. He'll have a lot of new teammates. But yeah, if George Mason is going to be better. He's already gone through another coaching change. So he's he's done it before. So yeah, no, I mean, that's a good pick. And I think you're right. This might have been the deepest position we looked at. Like you could have made an argument for Lindgreer the third, I think. Um, I mean, a lot of guys around the conference. The A-10 is always pretty rich at point guard. Lynn Greer the third, like, I don't want to call him the poor man's Ronald Polite because he's not really a poor man's anything. They both fill up the stat sheet, though. Just good all-around players. Yeah, but, like, if Ronald Polite's the dollar version, Lynn Greer's, like, the 85-cent version. Yeah. They're pretty similar players. Polite's just better. So do we want to stick with our our point guard discussion here or are we going over to the other red chips i'd say we just keep it at the red chips here i'll keep it in the backcourt and this is one where i almost feel like i'm cheating that's max shulga of vcu who was honorable mention all mountain west last year and let's just let's just be blunt about it the mountain west was way better than the a10 last season like if he did what he did in that conference last year he's a no doubter on this year on the all-conference team over with VCU. Uh didn't shoot the ball great last year from an efficiency standpoint, but 12 points a game, a near triple nickel guy, four and a half rebounds, four assists, despite the fact that he really wasn't even his team's point guard. And I'm not sure he's gonna be the quote unquote point guard for VCU either. I think that's a role that's gonna fall more so to Jason Nelson. And Shulga is just kind of going to be a somewhat off ball, essentially a combo guard. And he can do so with a little bit of a bigger frame. He's 6'4". Playing for the same coach in Ryan Odom, I think he'll try to keep him in a pretty similar role. This is somebody that as we start to form our conference predictions and our all-conference predictions, I think he might be a preseason first team guy for me he definitely could get there and i looked at him for this i i just think overall like vcu despite having pretty much an entirely new roster including the coaching staff i still feel like they might be the safest pick to be good and Shulg is a big reason for that. Just all the reasons you mentioned him playing well, but frankly, a higher level than the A10 last year and probably a higher level than the A10 is going to be this season too. So yeah, he, he is going to be a great player for the Rams, I think. For I also went with a player who put up some great stats at shooting guard for my red chip, and maybe he, he might have been the breakout player of the A10. But Khalil Brantley, you want to talk about a triple nickel machine? at LaSalle I just think for him the next step we know he can fill up the stat sheet 
can he become more than just a great stats bad team guy? We saw it a little bit. He carried LaSalle to 22 points in the A-10 tournament win against Duquesne. Um, had a lot of high-scoring games throughout the conference, but outside of a short winning streak in the middle of the season, didn't translate to a whole lot of success for LaSalle, but he's just someone that plays hard, sticking with Fran Dunphy despite playing for a losing team last year. And I, I just want to see if he can continue to build because he took a huge jump as a freshman and a guy that just came into LaSalle with a ton of hype. I want to see if he can continue to progress as an upperclassman now. Yeah, that's a good one. I guess Brantley was their best player last year, but to me, I just still feel like Jameer Brickus might be the more complete guy for them. And Brantley put up the better stats. He'll probably put up the better stats again, but I don't know. There's just a little piece of me that feels like if LaSalle gets an all-conference guy next year, it's Brickus. And that's a that's someone who would have gotten boxed out by Polite and Smith and Greer in that point guard discussion. But I do like the pick. He's someone who should at least be in the discussion come March. Well, I think if LaSalle is going to be any good too, they're they're going to need both the killer bees to step up, and we know who started that bandwagon for them. So, yeah, yeah. And that we'll, dude's we'll that dude's going to score a ton this year. Oh yeah, I mean another guy like our our blue chips at the beginning. He maybe he can lead the conference in scoring or at least be up there. He's a fourteen and a half last year, so I could see it. All right, I I can continue. With my red chip at small forward, this was a pretty easy pick and almost feels like he, I don't know if he was too good, but maybe he had, he had too many accolades to get this pick. But Maximus Edwards, the A-10 rookie of the year, I think GW just so desperately needs him to be the second all-conference player. Just how I mentioned earlier, James Bishop's not going to be able to do it himself. And Edwards... Kind of, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere last year, but there were a lot of hyped freshmen in the league, and he didn't feel like one of them, despite coming from the Big 12. And now that he's not going to have Brendan Adams sharing the backcourt, he's not going to have Ricky Lindo, they're just losing so much experience. And I feel like we mapped this out when we talked with David Korn, but I'm pretty sure Edwards has the second most experience on GW's roster in terms of games played. So he's just going to be critical if they are going to build on the momentum from last season. They picked up an older transfer whose name escapes me at the moment since we talked to David. So that's not they got an true Auburn anymore, player. but it's... Uh, but he didn't play a whole it's lot close. either. Yeah. Uh, this position, this spot for me was the easiest to pare down to two. And a, a quick comment, like Joe Bamisil deserves eight seconds in this conversation here. Like the guy was all conference two years ago, left and is now coming back. And we're not a hundred percent sure he's going to be eligible. And it was just too messy for me to figure out if he would be eligible or not. I will uh, say Ryan Odom was on the Rothstein podcast. Seemed pretty optimistic he was going to play, but what coach isn't optimistic this time of year? So I mean, if the they're giving home. waivers for going back home, he's going to get one. And it seems like that's something that they are willing to deeply consider. So 
Right now, I assume it's more than 50% he plays, but I don't feel confident saying it. So it, it for me, it came down to Maximus Edwards, who is definitely the high ceiling pick here. If we're looking for the most likely to be a star out of this red chip, then it's, it's Maximus Edwards. I went a little safer. I went with a guy that I know is going to be right around the discussion of top 15. And it's a dude who went reverse Joe Bamisil, who started at VCU, left the conference and came back. And that, of course, is Trey Clark of Duquesne, who probably the second best defender returning to this conference behind Deron Holmes league leader in steals last year. And you look at the way that this Duquesne roster is made up and for as deep as they were last year, there was an incredible emphasis on day day grant and Trey Clark because of the fact that Duquesne just didn't have many wings and that those were their two key floor spacers. And it seems funny to call Trey Clark a floor spacer, but Despite the fact that he was not a great shooter, he was still more consistent than most of the guys the Dukes had. Well, take a look at their roster now. Quincy McGriff's gone, and all of a sudden, this team literally has no backup wings. Like, it's Grant, and it's Clark, and that's it. And I expect him to shoot better than the 34% he gave them from deep last year. That was brought down by some bad shooting games in the non-con. I think he's a consistent above-average shooter, and if he gives them that paired with the defense that we've seen from him his entire career on a team that is looking like one of the top four picks right now, that's an all-conference guy to me. So I think two of your white chip players, or sorry, red chip players were on my all-conference team last year, but not the real one. Where where did you do your research for this? Making me feel smart. Yeah, well, uh, we tend to know things on this podcast. We try, even in the middle of the offseason, doing our best. All right, we can get into the red chips, into the front court. And for power forward... This was the guy I I went back and forth with Phil Austin on if I wanted to make him a blue chip, but kind of just suffers from the same problem. He's way too inconsistent. And that's Matt Cross of UMass, who I think we've seen his extreme talent level show up many times last year, but just occasionally he he still has those moments where he'll pull up from 30 feet and it doesn't look good. I, I just think overall UMass in general is going to need so much more offensive production than what they got last year. And cross is probably going to be the focus of that. So we, we've known from the time he got in the eight hand, he had superstar potential. He just hasn't quite shown it as much as Alston to me. So I, I should have mentioned cross with Williams and Alston. And it's funny that he's your pick because Essentially, what I just said about taking Clark over Edwards, the the safer bet, the more consistent guy over the high ceiling player, I went the opposite on this one. We know Matt Cross is going to be good. I, I don't think he's as good as Trey Clark, but he's someone who's should be around the top 20 discussion when this year is over. I'm shooting for a less safe high ceiling bet here with 
really my favorite freshman in last year's conference. And it's funny because I think Edwards was your favorite. That's Jan Farrell, St. Bonaventure, mm. who just does everything that that quintessential power forward that I talk about is supposed to give you. He's an elite rebounder. He's someone who can guard multiple positions. I feel great about him taking on basically any forward in this league. Hopefully he can bulk up a little bit and start to be able to guard centers. I don't think that's really an issue right now because Chad Benning's just going to play like 37 minutes a game this year. And even if he gets into foul trouble, they got a big body in Noel Brown. But I think that the eventual evolution of Farrell's game is that you can slide him down to the five a little bit and just go crazy fast. If that dude gets bulkier and you can let him play a little pick and roll with Micah Adams Woods, just as your dive guy, like him, think of Jan Farrell as a rim runner in an open paint. That is a terrifying thought if you're an opposing defense and what he can do at the rim. He's a guy that perfectly blends the excitement that you want when you're trying to predict an all-conference guy with the dunks that he can throw down. But he's also just such a great player with the little things. And I think he's someone that's just going to be top five in rebounds the next few years if he can get enough scoring opportunities and if he can really add a consistent jumper to his game, then the sky's the limit and he's going to jump up to the sky a few times. Yeah, certainly a, an exciting player to watch. And he very much was in the rookie of the year discussion too, for a good chunk of the year, especially with his ability to shoot the three as a, a bigger wing. That's really impressive. So yeah, probably got overlooked a little bit when I was putting this together. I didn't remember just quite how good he was last year, but hoping he can take a jump, stay in that Bonnie's starting lineup and definitely could have a big impact. All right. I think I want you to go first with your red chip center because I had Trey Williams originally and I'm feeling like, is he even going to play center for Duquesne? Because they added so much size. I have no idea. He should, but they, and it looked like he was, is he, is he a reasonable enough pick where I could leave him? Yeah. Yeah, it's reasonable enough because he's their best defensive center anyway. I just and... felt like he had a little more like I went for upside with this. I felt like he had a little bit more than that next tier behind Holmes, like Chad Venning, Neil Quinn, uh Cohen for UMass joining this year. I I, I think it's the defense for Tra- Trey Williams. He's gonna need to get back to that elite level where he was coming into Duquesne in the first place as an old defensive player in the Missouri Valley. And last year, that's the end that Duquesne struggled on a little bit more. But, I mean, I think I'd agree with you. He's their best option right now. And just with that, I feel like he's he's not going to get phased out of the rotation, no matter how many options they've got in the post. He's an all-conference-level player, but they have six other big guys who, if Barre's healthy, like all seven of them are good enough to play minutes on this team. And they're going to have to play play like the dramas at the three-some because, like I said, they've no backup wings. But I, I just – I think back as you say this to a comment that Tristan Freeman made to me when we did our Top 20 Players pod last September – and I put Trey Williams on, 
there's just too many guys there and he's just not going to be enough of a focal point to get the accolades that he'll probably deserve. But he's somebody who deserves to be in this conversation. I just don't think that that pick's going to pay off for you when we go back and talk about this like a year from now. Yeah, it's just going to be a matter. I think the talent's there, but the opportunity compared to some of these other guys, like I think he'll play the least amount of minutes out of the alternatives I mentioned, but I think I'd still give him the most upside out of that group too. So my guy you mentioned, and that's Josh Cohen going to UMass and his stats almost warrant him being too good for a red chip. 21.8 points a game. For God's sake, the man was 10th in the nation in scoring last year. But he did it in the NEC, which was probably the worst conference in college basketball. And so jumping all the way up to the A-10 is no sure thing. But as we talked about when we went over the transfers back in April, and go back and listen to our episode with Petey Buckets. Back half, we profiled uh, seven incoming transfers including a few guys that I'm going to talk about with the white chips. But Josh Cohen's just a perfect Frank Martin player. He's that post-scoring presence that they didn't have last year and tried to shoehorn Isaac Conte and Wildens Levesque into being. This guy is just going to get ridden in the UMass offense. Anytime things go stale, they're going to go to him. I think he's going to be a great post-up scoring presence in this league even against the bigger centers he's going to face. And I think he's the safest bet of any transfer coming in. Uh, Number two in that list, by the way, for anyone who's curious, probably Charles Pride of St. Bonaventure, who I actually think is going to overtake Daryl Banks as their leading scorer this year and was another guy considered for this team at one of the wing spots. Yeah, I think for this, if you wanted to go with the highest floor option, I think, Josh Cohen might be the the best transfer you could have out of everyone in the A10 this year, but it, it always just is a question: How is his game going to translate? Moving up pretty high because, like you said, the NEC, despite winning a tournament game last year, not a good conference. And I mean, at least for him, it seems like the A10's not quite as deep at center as it was maybe when we started this podcast, but. Oh, it's definitely now not. too. Yeah, but he's he's gonna be the guy, and with the late departure of Wilden Slavek going into the portal last week, he'll get a lot of minutes for the Minutemen. I mean, we had days where Hassan French was like the fifth or sixth best center in this league, and if we're doing this right now, he'd probably be the clear red chip pick for both of us behind Duran. So, just kind of shows you times have changed. All right, we'll move on to our white chips now. Kind of more wild card players, Matt. I don't know about you. For me, four of these guys, I'm just betting on high ceiling players that I think can be superstars. And then at one spot, I ended up turning down what would have been the pick under those guidelines and took one guy that I know for sure is going to be good moving forward. And I'm betting that he becomes really a higher end good player who can make his way onto a second or third team. And also of note, no true freshman for me. Now, granted, it is June and by October, I'll talk myself into a guy or two, but 
I don't know. Maybe I'm still just feeling the sting of the fact that I was all in on Reed Bailey at this point last year. Yeah, I, I think for this, I, I just tried to go for upside. And these are players that a couple of them we, we've seen a decent amount. A few we know nothing about at all. I, I did go with one true freshman, so maybe I can just start there. We can go back to the backcourt. And uh, maybe it's just being used to this team having an excellent point guard. But I'm pretty excited about Sion Medley at St. Louis, just after seeing what Travis Ford did with Yuri Collins, they have another small, quick point guard. Seems like he's been committed to St. Louis for about two years. Like he's pretty constantly had a lot of buzz around him and he's going to have a lot of opportunity. I I feel like besides him, it's really just Larry Hughes Jr. Who I see a little bit more as a shooting guard on that team. So just in terms of freshmen that are going to get minutes early, it, it almost feels like a Jason Nelson situation last year at Richmond, where even though he's young, he'll get opportunities to fail and he'll eventually get the chance to succeed if it all works out. So this is the position where I had the high ceiling true freshman under consideration. And for disclosure, that was Jalen Curry of UMass, who mm-hmm. at the last second, I kind of just got scared off because he's still listed at 155 pounds. Like, I I just want to see that dude put on some muscle, a little bit of weight before I fully believe in him. So I, I went with a little bit of a steadier hand, but still a bold pick. My white chip point guard is Kareem Rozier of Duquesne, who is just going to be a really good starting point guard in this league for the next three years. And you know what? There's no way this pick pays off this year because there's too much talent around him. And he's going to spend a year being that type of old school point guard distributor that I really love to watch. And I think next season as Grant and Clark and these older big men move on, this is going to be his team without a doubt. It's already his team in the locker room, but there were games down the stretch where he should have played crunch time over Tevin Brewer last year, where he was locking guys down defensively and when he was hitting threes, he was clearly one of this one of Duquesne's best players last year. Yeah, I, I feel like Rozier is a good pick. He feels like the type of player that is going to have a bigger impact than what his stats are going to show at the end. So maybe if that's how we look at it at the end of the year, like, yeah, it's not going to look as good. But yeah, another guy that'll get an opportunity. And real quick, I, I just want to add to I really wanted to pick him, and maybe I should have, but Angelo Brizzy at Davidson. Yeah, I, I thought is, about him too. It feels kind of like when we all just overlooked Foster Lawyer and nobody expected anything. He's, I mean, he was a redshirt on a Final Four team two years ago, so I, I wouldn't sleep on him. He's another guy, too, for a program that's traditionally had excellent point guards, and he'll get... I feel like he'll be the starter from day one. I don't really know who else Davidson has that has as much of a pedigree. Grant Huffman might be an all-conference player. As a point guard, though? And I'm kind of whispering, and I'm whispering it, but he had more per game in conference play than Lawyer did last year. I I just don't see Huffman as the point guard. I think he'll be good. I mean, he's probably Davidson's best player going into next year, but they're going to need someone to shoot, too. Davidson right now. 
Like I'll I'll have my Davidson thoughts later this summer. I just I I don't understand what they are at this point. But we'll go to my other backcourt spot, and this is the other returning guy I had in this group. And to me, I feel like this is honestly the, the safest pick of any of my white chips. That's Will Richardson of Fordham. I think that guy's going to be a star right now. Like that, he will be all conference this season. I'm going out on a limb with that. Mark it down, June 29th, Will Richardson will be an all-conference player this year. I think the only reason he didn't look the part down the stretch and the only reason he wasn't all-rookie team is because he's an unselfish player who was willing to defer to the upperclassmen around him. But someone has to score in that forward and backcourt this year with Darius Quisenberry moving on, and this guy's ready-made to step into that rule right now. And one of the things when I talked to him last year, when I talked to Dave Paulson and uh, Kyle Rose for a story I did on Fordham over on Busting Brackets, which by the way is still relevant. So go check it out if you need a summer read. But everyone was just raving about this guy's work ethic and the fact that he just wants to do whatever's going to help his team. And last year it was just playing hard defense and just giving them some athleticism on that wing. This year, it's going to be scoring. And we're going to see immediately that this guy is a multi-level scorer for them. He's a potential all-defense guy over these next few years. And I I think he's a superstar in this league as long as he stays and he stays healthy. I think that's a really good pick and definitely a a huge kind of obvious breakout candidate from what he saw what we saw late last year and how that's going to translate now that Quisenberry's gone he's going to be getting up a lot more shots so I think that's great my shooting guard pick which a lot of this I think just had to do with how much stock I had at him at the beginning of last year and how it didn't really work out but he showed me just enough in a few games and that's for Shul Diggins from UMass who came in as a borderline top 50 recruit from UConn originally. Early in the year, just played really poorly, couldn't get in the flow offensively, got hurt for a while. But midseason, he suddenly hit a couple really big games. I had 15 and 12 in back-to-back games against St. Joe's and Richmond, and then finished the regular season with 14 against St. Bonaventure. So we've seen that scoring ability it just seems to me like he's got too much talent not to be a, a quality A-10 player. Is he going to be a superstar? Probably not. But I, I feel like he still has a lot more room to grow for the Minutemen. Rashul Diggins is the player version of the comment I just made about Davidson. I just kind of <laughs> don't know if I like him yet. And I'm going to have some sort of like come to Jesus moment some point this summer where I figure that out. But at the end of January, I honest to God thought he was an NEC player. Like, oh, I mean, he, 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 he looked, looked terrible awful. for a lot of the just year. Just absolutely terrible. And then him and Keon Thompson kind of got it going at like the same moment in early mm-hmm. February. And you're right, the pedigree's there. No doubt. The guy, like, the guy got recruited by the team that ended up winning the national championship. He would have gotten yeah. a ring if he was fine with just sticking around and not playing last season. So I don't know. I don't know. He is not a guy that I considered for this list, but I can't say it's stupid. 
Well, if there's one of my picks that could blow up, that's probably it. But you got to have a little bit of fun with these. Okay, small forward for me. This one was risky, but I mean, you just mentioned Will Richardson. I hadn't picked a Fordham Ram yet, and so I went with Josh Rivera, the oh, Patriot rookie oh, team go. member. Did you have him? Uh, well, the only reason it's not the same is because I list him as my power forward. Okay, well, he's I'm six, all six. in. He's... I'm way all in on this guy. <laughs> he's like six six two hundred. Fordham's got some big bodies coming back, so I, I think he'll play on the wing. But I, I mean. He's going to have a lot of competition. That's the one thing scaring me off. Like, he'll have to still beat out some of the returning freshmen for Fordham. But I feel like we already talked about this in the offseason. Without Khalid Moore, someone needs to fill that void on the Rams. And he seems like the best choice right now. Yeah, he's another guy we talked about, like Cohen, in that April episode. So go back and listen Mm -hmm. to that. But he's like, he's kind of Patriot League Khalid Moore. Like he did when I was watching his highlight tapes and the highlight tapes show you the good, but the stuff he was doing looked like the stuff that Moore was doing for Fordham last year. Like it was a like for like swap from Keith Ergo. And the biggest difference is Rivera might already be a more refined shooter than Moore was even at the end of his career. Like this is a guy and Khalid Moore was horribly underrated last year. Like he was, he was just, he should have been a first team all conference guy. And so to step into that role is going to take a lot, but I I think the ceiling might actually be even higher for this guy. Yeah. He was only 33% from deep, but the shots that went in looked really nice. And I think on a, on a better team and a better system, like Fordham's going to give him, I think he's someone who can be a reliable 38 to 40% shooter. And in a conference without many true power forwards, he has all the skills that you need. It's the same as I just talked about with Farrell and Alston. Well, I guess maybe he is more of a power forward looking at his game. So I can swap him and I'll have my small forward because he basically, even though he doesn't have the size, he he plays that spot. It feels like six foot 11 Reed Bailey, who you already mentioned, and I haven't given up on him just at his size and with his skill. I, I just feel like he has so much potential to put it together and someone that seems primed to take on a bigger role. I'm not saying he's going to turn into Sam Menanga overnight and he's not even going to do any of the same things, but with Menanga leaving, he'll still get more playing time. And just coming in as such a big time recruit initially, just Davidson consistently, maybe we haven't seen it as much under Matt McKillop yet, but a good school for player development. And if you want to look at someone to make a freshman, a sophomore jump, it feels like, there's at least a safe bet he'll make some progress next year. Look, if you check my basketball E-Trade account, my my B-Trade account, if you will, th- there's there's still some very solid Reed Bailey holdings in there. I, I trimmed a little bit off the position, but I still hold it. But I'm going to be quiet about that. I'm not hyping him up till he, get, till he starts getting rebounds. If he shows up in November and yeah. has like a nine-rebound game, then I'll start hyping him up again. Because everything else is there. He showed it to us in flashes. But, like, dude, you're 6'11". Like, 
hit the boards because I think he's going to be an inconsistent scorer this year and probably even still into next year. He just he doesn't impact the game enough when the great things aren't going well for him. So once he starts to do that, I'll get excited about him again. But we'll go to my other forward, and that's uh, another incoming transfer that we've talked about a little bit. Benny Schroeder from Oklahoma. He was there for a year. He didn't play at all. So you got to go back to what he did in essentially like a second division German developmental league last year where he was the player of the year playing for a team called IBAM just absolutely lit it up in that league 26.7 points seven and a half rebounds nearly four assists per game he shot 59 percent from the field he was the best player on the German national teams at the U16 in U18 FIBA Euro baskets. By the way, Germany's a good basketball country. For anybody who doesn't pay attention to like these world championships and stuff, they are a sneaky, quickly growing basketball nation. And it's filled with all these guys like Johannes Voigtman, who does this stuff in the NBL right now that is essentially the type of guy that Benny Schroeder profiles as. Like this kind of poor, poor man's Franz Wagner, like just a a big skinny forward who can shoot and is also a decent playmaker and is going to just pummel you on the boards. Like the Germans are just breeding these guys at the forward position. And Benny Schroeder, I think he's the next one in that line of players. This is a future all-conference guy. And this is a future guy that I think we're going to see in the next wave of German Olympians. I mean, that would be great for GW because the minutes are there if he wants them and can take them. They, they need some guys with size. And yeah, if he shows out well in the offseason, he very well could be someone making an immediate impact for, I was trying to think about it the whole time, the Revolutionaries, right? Their new name? Yeah, the Revs. I was drawing a blank. I was trying to come up with that the first half of your spiel there. All right. Final white chip pick. I had forgotten about this guy originally. So first, I'll I'll give my original pick. uh, And this was just to get another LaSalle guy. But Rokas Utis or Joshis, I I always forget. I I just like him. And LaSalle lost all their centers last year. So he's going to get the play. But uh. Then I remembered our last podca- podcast with Hawk Hill Hardwood. Yeah, I, went to, I did the same thing. Yeah, he's he's probably going to start from day one as a redshirt freshman. Seven foot tall, maybe the greatest physical specimen in the A-10 this year. And it just seems like the sky is the limit. It, he is definitely the freshman I'm the most excited about going into this year. I mean, look. When Dr. John Giannini, in the middle of a February broadcast, just gives a two-minute soliloquy about a dude who isn't playing at all that season, we should listen to it. Like, we're hearing that this dude can block shots and shoot threes, and he's just an absolute brick house already. That we know for sure. We can see him sitting on the bench like... That's that's a unicorn. That's a college basketball unicorn. Like, 
The ceiling scenario of this dude is an all-conference player at like a power conference level. And maybe he flames out entirely. Like what he is hyped to be, the odds of him actually hitting it are quite frankly pretty slim. But God, if he's everything he can be, he's a player of the year in this conference, not an all-conference guy. He's a player of the year who then we start hearing, oh, Duke's going to give him a bag in the offseason. He's going to leave. And he's just going to go to the NBA instead. He has the highest ceiling of anyone in this entire conference, save for maybe Holmes and maybe Reynolds. And that's it. How scary is that to think about that St. Joe's is two of those guys? I still don't feel that great about like picking them high, but like in this kind of the argument's the there if you want to make too. it. Yeah. Oh, they need his defense. When has 100%. Billy Lang had a good defender? By the way, I almost put Sean Simmons on this list for that exact reason. Because he's just gonna play <laughs> he's just gonna play for them this year because he's gonna help them on that end of the floor. Don't don't talk me into St. Joe's tonight. I'm not Oh no, I'm not gonna I'm do not it. ready for that. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna talk you into what S what uh what Creased could be because yeah, he could I hope he is that this would be one, look this white chip discussion we're not we're not giving counters to any of these picks because these are all shoot for the stars and this is the shoot for the stars guy right now. Yeah, I mean the more I looked at it, like I for some reason didn't come to mind immediately, but he is the perfect pick. For this exercise, I think. If you he want was, to talk about upside, it's him. He was the third guy I wrote down of all 15. I had him down before any of my red chips and most of my blue chip guys. Like, it's just, in this discussion, it's it's quite frankly just obvious. I mean, it, it kind of feels like, maybe I'm getting carried away, but like if we did this two years ago, I, I feel like this is what we would have said about Duran Holmes. As like a, a freshman coming in that you just have that great feeling about. It is. And by the with... way, the hype machine is stronger now about this. Now, maybe now maybe if Duran had sat out a whole semester and mm-hmm. was on the bench and we were getting shots of him on these USA Network games, it might have been a little bit different. But yeah, I, I feel like this is the most hyped freshman we've had in the entire six years we've done this pod. He's up there for sure. And yeah, I mean, if, if there's some someone that you want to get excited about, I'm sure we're going to be talking about him quite a bit over the off season. But I, I know you said, I mean, these were all solid picks. Any other honorable mentions you had? I'm trying to make sure we had absolutely nobody from Rhode Island or Richmond, which are just two teams that I have nothing kind to say about at the moment. But we, we pretty much had everyone else represented. I thought about Brandon Weston for a second. Yeah. I think, but he's like a younger version of like the Grant Huffman thing where I know for sure Brandon Weston is going to be a very solid third or fourth option this year and next year, no matter what. I'm just not sure if he has the star potential. And so that, like I said, we're we're shooting for who has the highest ceiling here. He's not a guy that's in that conversation, but I really like him. I know he's going to be a very good player. 
Richmond, I, I just don't really have a grasp, and all their best guys are older transfers right now. Yeah, I mean, if there's anyone like, I guess Isaiah Bigelow could have been one of my red chip wings, but that's more like, just. Do you really this... think Isaiah Bigelow is going to be an all conference guy? Not really, but. Like his. That's just more is... about how I feel Maybe about the he wings could be glue the guy of the year this year. Yeah, I mean the. But he's. I just don't see him ever being in an all-conference player no i mean richmond kind of built their team on experience transfers this year so if you're talking about upside usually that's not it guys who have been in college three or four years and are transferring up to the a10 i mean i'm sure they're gonna get good enough production for those guys to play but to be true impact players i'm not as sure all right we'll move on here three news stories coming through these dog days of summer other than some roster additions uh i don't think deron holmes had come back the last time we had a pod but by now everyone kind of understands that there's not too much to break down he's the best player in this conference as things stand at this moment and him being back gives dayton a chance to win the title it's pretty simple to me i don't know if you have anything else to add there no, I mean, I think he was the best player going into last year, and nothing really changed. He played great, so it definitely exciting to have him back for a while in the offseason. I wasn't really expecting that to happen, but I, I think that says a lot about what he thinks he can do at Dayton. I mean, he's a guy, if he didn't go to the NBA, I'm sure he could have played for just about any school of the country, and he decided not to do that. So it's just exciting for Flyer fans. Yeah, and I've made my thoughts pretty clear. I I thought it was way closer to a 50-50 proposition than anyone wanted to believe. I th- I actually think he made the right choice because he's just not ready for the NBA in terms of a full skill set right now. Kamara leaving is going to help Holmes to become a more rounded player because a lot of the things that Tamani Kamara got better at last year on the offensive end in terms of being an off-the-bounce attacker, in terms of being a okay floor spacer after being an awful one earlier in his career, that's what Holmes has to get better at this year. And he was never going to transfer. He actually likes it there. He's made that very clear when he's talked to us, when he's talked to David Jablonski. And his best chance to become better is to be a featured star so we'll see what he can do this year but we'll we'll talk plenty about his future draft stock throughout next year one guy who did get drafted his teammate tamani kamara who just went to the phoenix suns he'll be joining a, a whole cast of a10 alums in summer league keep an eye on our twitter page some point this weekend when i have an hour to rip through all 30 rosters i'll tweet out everyone who's going to be playing but i said it the night of this was the best case scenario for Kamara in the second round of the draft. He goes to a team that is going to be contending for a title. So he's not going to get a ton of minutes. He's going to spend a lot of the year down in the G League. But it's a Suns team that's going to be relying on three stars. Their depth is going to be absolutely atrocious. And so all of a sudden, Kevin Durant's doing some load management. Oh, Josh Kogi's hurt tonight. Kamara's going to get sporadic minutes throughout the regular season this year. 
he's going to have a chance to try to prove himself early on. I, I assume he'll get a two-way contract given where he was drafted. He'll pop in and out between the two levels this year, but he's going to get 15 to 20 games to try to earn himself a rotation spot when year two rolls around. And he's playing under a coach in Frank Vogel who appreciates hard-nosed defenders and guys who are going to go to the boards. And we know Tomani Kamara is going to be able to contribute that right away. So if he can become a better shooter, if he can go up another half a notch as a, as a slasher and as a distributor, he can be an NBA player long-term. And it's a, it's a great situation for him. For guys who get taken in that spot, situation's half the battle. And I, I think he hit the lottery there. Yeah, I, I really hope so. And I, I think as like a 22, 23-year-old senior, he's kind of the opposite of a sexy pick in the NBA in the modern game now. But, you know, what he did at Dayton, all of those little things and intangibles, it seems like that can play in the NBA when he doesn't need to be a star. And he's going to have to, you know, earn minutes where he can get them. But we know, like, through his rebounding ability and defense – even though he's not going to be putting up a bunch of big scoring games at the next level right away, he can do the little things that get him in the lineup. So really excited for him. It, it's great for Dayton too, to get another player into the NBA. And I think all everything you just mentioned too kind of highlights what the Flyers are going to need to do to replace him because he just gave them so much production last year, but very exciting to have another A-10 guy get drafted. Yeah. And you mentioned the age, but the guys who are the best second round picks at this point are older players who mm -hmm. have a glaring flaw. And it's normally either that they're too small and they're older point guards, like a Jalen Brunson type, or they're a bigger guy who just can't shoot. You can teach guys to shoot in the NBA and Kamara has most everything else that you need. And so if he becomes a decent shooter, he's a guy who could be in the league 10 years. If he doesn't, then it'll just be back to Europe for him where he'll be a quality player. But he certainly has a chance. And for all the Dayton fans who've been mad about the fact that Obi's buried on the bench on the Knicks the last few years, this is the exact opposite of how I felt about Obi's situation the night he got taken. The Knicks were the worst case scenario for him. And they have stifled his development for years. Phoenix is going to help Kamara to develop. And the rest is going to be on him to become a better player. So, so I think the, the other guy to mention too real quick, um, since you were talking about smaller point guards and how they might have a tougher road to the NBA, Yuri Collins signed a summer league deal with the Warriors, which, I mean, with my limited knowledge, it seems like that would be a pretty good situation for any player. But what do you make of his prospects? I think for him, the goal should just be to get himself onto a different Warriors this year, and that's the Santa Cruz Warriors. Their G League team, who it's an organization that obviously you can see they have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who have incredible God given shooting gifts, but they found a way to turn clunky shooters into okay ones. Look at Draymond Green, look at a guy like Moses Moody, who's a good enough shooter now in the NBA to let his other athletic gifts shine. And by the way, that's, that's one of my favorite NBA breakout guys for next year, if anybody cares, but 
I think you get your if Yuri can just work his way down to Santa Cruz, he has everything else that he needs except the shooting. And the shooting and size together is the reason why he's not why he wasn't a draft pick. So if he can figure that out, it's the same thing as Kamara. He might have a future in this league. It's and it is probably one of the better situations for him to end up in. So, All right, so I guess to wrap it up, the other big story of the week in the A10, we have schedule pairings, so don't know exactly when these games will take place, but we do have the home and homes. And I, I guess just overall wanted to go through a couple quick takeaways. So where did you want to be- begin? Duquesne, who probably had the easiest schedule in the conference last year. It, it's brutal this season. And I think as we move towards the year, there's going to be six teams that people try to make a case for them potentially being like a top two, top three team. Dayton, Duquesne, Fordham, St. Joe's, VCU, St. Bonaventure. And you can have your different opinions on those teams. I think those are the, I think those are all squads that we will see people take in their top four. Duquesne obviously is one of those teams. Their home and homes are against four of the other five. Dayton, Fordham, St. Bonaventure, St. Joe's. And the only one who's left is VCU. And they got to go down and play them at Siegel. And things just shook out real tough for Duquesne. I I think so. And I I think overall what I tried to look at when we got the initial pairings, obviously it's a lot to go through. And you don't know exactly where teams will stand. But last year, it was so unbalanced where you had Dayton, VCU, St. Louis, and Davidson, four teams expected to be good, all of them with home and homes against each other. This year, I felt like we got a lot more balance where Duquesne has a tough schedule, but still with not as many clear-cut great teams, we don't really know with certainty how that's going to shake out. But I think what it comes down to like Dayton VCU both getting pretty quality schedules. They they play each other. They both get well. Dayton gets Duquesne. VCU gets a home and home with Saint Bonaventure and Saint Louis. And then Saint Bonaventure too. The other team I wanted to highlight. Their home and homes against Duquesne, Fordham, VCU. So three pretty solid teams. And then UMass who has high potential. It seems like the A10 gave the Bonnies a little bit of respect, giving them chances to win bigger games. Yeah. I think that there is an element of acknowledgement from the conference that these are probably the better teams. It's not set in stone the way that we all looked at it last year and said, Oh, it's Dayton and St. Louis. And then it's VCU. And then it's like Loyola and Davidson. And so they paired them all together, but they still did a good job of giving the teams, like you said, chances that anyone who potentially has a chance to be on the bubble is going to get road games against tough teams. On the flip side, two two teams that I'd put right around the middle right now, the Georgias, Mason and Washington, they obviously play each other. They both play Richmond twice. George Mason gets Loyola and Rhodey. George Washington gets LaSalle and UMass. One of those two teams is going to get out to a good start against the soft schedule. And we're going to look at it and be like, whoa, George Mason's six and two. And I think they're both decent teams this year. 
but one of them's going to find their way into the top seven because they're just going to get to play a, a lesser schedule than the, than most teams. Yeah, George Mason was really the one for me that jumped out as having the easiest schedule. And, I mean, to me, Rhode Island and Richmond, they're the two worst teams in whichever order, I think. Loyola finished dead last a year ago, so they should be a lot better, but still, there's a chance they're not. And then GW, I'm just, I'm going to have to be talked into. I mean, I love Bishop, but the rest of their team makes me nervous. So, George Mason, I felt like, got a pretty easy schedule. The other one, not an easy schedule, but I was maybe expecting a little bit more. I kind of thought the A-10 would push Fordham harder after their run to the semifinals, and their home and home's not easy. They still get Duquesne and St. Bonaventure, who should be top four contenders, but they get the aforementioned Rhode Island, who, by all accounts, is not going to be good next year. And then Davidson, who is a brand name in the A-10, but... I, I think that's a rivalry. I think they consider that a protected rivalry, though. It might be, because I don't think Davidson really has one, or they haven't had one since joining the A-10, but... I, I don't know. I mean, Fordham's schedule's not bad. I was wondering if they would give them the, like, Duquesne or St. Bonaventure treatment, where they pretty clearly give them more difficult games, but we don't see them playing Dayton or VCU in a home-and-home, home, which would have been an interesting test. I just think that just kind of looking around Twitter and listening to other pods, other than Thomas Aiello, like I'm not sure anyone's as high on Fordham as the two of us are. And I, I think don't that's even part know. Of the thing. I, I am fully prepared to be shocked by how low they will be in the preseason poll. They, they could be, and I, I'm not even sure I'm high on Fordham. I just think after what they accomplished last year, they're they were the big story, other than VCU. I winning mean, they by lost their games. two stars, though. That's the issue. They did. Well, the other one, too, a, a team that lost a bunch of stars, uh, St. Louis, I, they're a team I'm definitely going to be higher on than the consensus. But still, it could be rough compared to the last couple years, and especially it wouldn't be surprising to see them preseason, like bottom five or bottom six. They still get Dayton, St. Joe's, VCU, and Loyola, which is one of the tougher pairings. So kind of surprising given their status. And I, I think it just has more to do with their standing as one of the upper level programs in the conference right now. Yeah, and kind of the way that that happened to Davidson last year. Exactly. Like it feels I think very you, similar. I think it's easy to sell St. Louis to the Friday A10 game or on a, a CBS SN Tuesday night slot, and so they want them to be playing the better teams and the bigger brands. So that was one thing I wanted to end on. Last year, there were eight Friday night ESPN2 games. How many do you think there were that didn't feature Dayton or VCU? We talked about this, I think, when it came out. I'm pretty sure there was only one. It was, was one. It Lewis was... Davidson game in Belk. That was it, yeah. And ended up being a really important game because I think it gave St. Louis a brief lead in the conference. But it did. One of my big takeaways, and I'm hoping the conference obliges in a year where we're not going to have a clear favorite, I just hope they share the love a little bit on these Friday games. Go to some of the other home yep. courts. Give us like, Duke and Fordham on Friday. 
Fordham should get a home ESPN game. Their crowd was amazing last year. Give St. Bonaventure a home game. Give St. Joe's a home game. Like, Dayton and VCU were both on Friday night four times. I can say, like, the Friday games, it's a treat. It's a good showcase for the conference. But as a fan of one of those teams that is in those games, I don't want to watch it four times. I don't want to see VCU four times either. So I we know those are the two biggest names in the conference so it's probably going to happen again but i'd love to see other teams get the opportunity i agree and i want to close it out here i want to combine this with the last news item which is that tbt's coming quickly at the end of july we'll dive into that with an episode second or third week where hopefully we can give you a deep dive with some of the people involved but dayton vcu rhode island and umass all involved with alumni teams and so I want to close this out by asking you, what is the most important roadie UMass game in the next year? Is it this first round TBT game or one of the two that they get against each other next season? Ah, man, that is sad to think about. I, I think it's it's one of the real games. That's another one too. Like roadie UMass is a fun rivalry. That That should be a Friday game, but not this year, yeah. but in the future, sure. Not at UMass, at Rhode Island. UMass is the one team that can never host a nationally. Like well, ESPN. no, we got to give them a Friday just so Mike Corey gets to go back to his his. Home I mean, base. I feel I feel bad for him, but no, get, yeah, give it a couple of years. This year, it's the TBT game that's bigger. Yeah, and we will talk about that game coming here in the next few weeks. So be sure to tune in and listen to that. All right, that does it for another all-new episode of the 3-Bid League podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to go back, listen to our prior off-season episodes with Petey Buckets, Hoops Weiss, and Matt Gifford of Hawk Hill Hardwood. All of them hold up. It's the off-season. Not that much changes. So be sure to go take a listen to those. Some deep talk about George Mason, St. Joe's, and the other Philly schools along with some incoming transfers all around the league. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us five stars on iTunes. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at the number three bid league pod. If you don't already, you can send us your comments on there. If there's something you liked, something you didn't like about the show, we definitely love to hear your feedback. We'll be back in a few weeks. We'll have a TBT preview coming your way hopefully at least one more episode in between now and then and everybody enjoy your holiday weekend Uh, be sure to keep that canadian wildfire smoke out of your lungs if you're out in the midwest and just continue to enjoy this lovely summer